Hi, I'm Drew Cat, EdChoice's Director of State Research and Special Projects. I'm back today for another EdChoice chat, speaking with Dr. Mike McShane. Mike is EdChoice's Director of National Research and author of our newest report, The Private School Teacher Skills Gap, What K-12 Private School Educators Know and What They Need to Know. Thanks for joining us today, Mike. Thanks for having me. Let's jump right in. Mike, would you start off by telling us about this report and what inspired it? Yeah. So uh, as listeners of the EdJoyce podcast probably know, I host a podcast series called Cool Schools, where I interview the leaders of cool and innovative schools across the country. A lot of those schools are private schools. And even my own history, I used to be a Catholic school teacher. And when I interview those people or when I talk with people in the kind of network of private school teachers and leaders that I know, you always hear about the kind of human capital needs of private schools. If you want to have a great school, you got to have great teachers, you got to have great administrators. In some ways, uh, not being able to access great teachers and great leaders can really stall the growth. If you've got some awesome network of schools or you have a great school that wants to scale up to serve more people, they need teachers and leaders. And I had this inkling, it may be some anecdata, um, that, that um, the preparation programs were not necessarily teaching teachers and leaders the things that they needed to be successful in private schools. Private schools function differently than public schools do, and the kind of general model, I think, is geared more towards preparing public school teachers. So I wanted to kind of formalize that and not just rely on anecdote, but try and actually do some kind of systematic way of answering these questions. Yeah, so what was the systematic way that you went about this? So we worked with, or I worked with some partners at Hanover Research, which is a great kind of public policy research polling firm to do a big survey. So we tried to reach out to as many private school administrators and teachers across three states. So we looked at South Carolina, Iowa, and Arizona, the nice kind of cross-section of states from across the country. And we gave them, uh, we sent them a really detailed survey. And we were lucky that we had almost 450 responses to that detailed survey. Yeah, and that's that's a great number of respondents. And so what categories of skills did you ask about in your survey? So we asked them some kind of general questions about their preparation. We asked questions about professional development, getting up to speed. But the big thing that I was interested in knowing was, first, what are the skills and knowledge that they think is important to be successful when teaching or leading in a private school? And then I was trying to get at the question, well, did they learn these things in their pre-service preparation? So we asked it in kind of a roundabout way. So rather than saying, you know, what were you not taught that you needed to be, we asked, what skills did you need to learn on the job? So there's a series of questions um, around that, which yielded, I think, some interesting responses. And then we had this kind of lucky break. I'm a big fan of Bob Ross's The Joy of Painting, uh, and he always says, look, there's no, no such things as mistakes, only happy accidents. And we had kind of a happy accident where 56% of our sample had actually taught in public schools as well. I knew that some portion of the sample was, so we had a battery of questions for them. I didn't realize how big it was going to be. And actually, on average, those that 56% of our sample had actually taught for, I think, on average, more than nine years in public schools. 
So we actually had people with really serious, substantial public school experience. And we were able to ask them some questions where you compare your experience. So we take the list of uh, of skills, dispositions, knowledge, and ask them questions like, was this more important in public school, more important in private school, or about the same? So we were able to actually, like I said, it was a long survey. I'm so thankful for all of the busy educators who took the time to fill it out. But we were able to ask a really broad spectrum of questions across a lot of different domains. And speaking of skills teachers had to learn on the job, I was fascinated when you presented this research at the International School Choice and Reform Conference, that between one-third and one-fourth of teachers said the top skill they had to learn on the job was how to learn on the job. Yeah, a bit of a tautology there, yes. So, so that's an important way of, uh, of even the way that, that, that we're sort of framing this, talking about this in terms of the skills gap. Um, so for those who are, are, are maybe unfamiliar, if you're, if you're a big, like, Mike Rowe, Dirty Jobs fan, there's this idea out there, particularly in the business community, talking about the skills gap. And the skills gap is this idea that there's a bunch of jobs out there that people don't have the skills to be able to take advantage of. And if we could meet those, if we could get unemployed people or underemployed people those skills, they could fill these, in many cases, high-paying, stable, secure jobs. And it was actually... One of the partners we were working with at Hanover, when I kind of pitched this product project to them, and we were brainstorming the um, potential questions, one of them said, you know, this is actually a lot like skills gap research. And this is what other people in business and, and other places look at to try and tackle that problem, which, I mean, it really does dovetail pretty nicely with what we were trying to do here. So we worked actually with some kind of pre-baked batteries of questions from a kind of broader I don't know if you necessarily want to call it literature, but broader research work that's been done on the skills gap. And that's one of those skills, though, that, you know, that we hear a lot about in the business world. We decided what the heck, like, let's throw it in and see what teachers have to say about it. But, but yeah, this idea of learning on the job or being a lifetime learner, it turns out like that's a really popular response in the business world. And it's actually a really popular response amongst teachers as well. Yeah, the, the lifelong learner thing definitely resonates with me because I think my undergraduate preparation and organizational development, that was the one thing that they tried to hammer into our heads was the importance of being a lifelong learner in the business community or really any sector. For sure. Yeah. Another thing that stuck out to me was that even though educators identified holes in their preparation, they were still generally satisfied with it. Yeah. Mike, do you have any guess as to what's happening there? Yeah, I think that's actually a really important takeaway from this report. You know, a few years ago, there was like a whole series of reports that came out that were basically these big kind of like Jeremiah's against teacher preparation. And there were calls in some corners of the, you know, reform community. It's like, oh, we need to, we need to blow up ed schools. We need to get rid of ed schools. Or they don't, you know, they're completely, I don't want to go so far as I don't putting words in people's mouths saying that they were useless, but there was a lot of very strident language. We'll put it that way. There was a lot of very strident language about education schools. And one of the things that we found uh, in conducting this survey was even for private school educators who do identify kind of holes in their preparation, overwhelmingly, they were satisfied with the preparation that they received. And I think that this is, this is an important finding because if we want to solve some of the problems that they identified, we, we can see that 
the, the sort of fundamental institutions that they have, they were glad that they went to them. They learned something there. So the question is not perhaps how do we circumvent these institutions or how do we how do we replace these institutions, but rather how do we kind of tweak them to better serve this particular constituency? I mean, in a lot of ways, it makes the sort of so what do we do with this information question a little bit easier because rather than saying we need to build a bunch of places whole cloth or completely completely redo this stuff, it's like no. These institutions work for people. They like them. They just need them to change a little bit to better fit what they are doing in their professional life. Yeah. Well, it seems like the most important figure in this paper is the giant Venn diagram comparing the skills and knowledge necessary to succeed in public schools with those needed in private schools with the overlap. So can you walk us through that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's another kind of interesting finding here is that the the idea that private school educators and public school educators completely different from one another. It's not true. So this was that set of questions that we asked for the people who taught in both and said, are these particular, gave them the whole list of skills that they had identified earlier that were part of the battery of questions that they could choose from earlier and asked them to say, is this more important in public schools, more important in private schools, or about the same? And overwhelmingly, what we found was that most of the things that we associate with being a good teacher, a good administrator, was true in both cases. So like being good at planning lessons or assessments or managing classrooms, that's just as important as in a, a public school environment as it is in a private school environment. So there's this big, meaty center of the Venn diagram that has lots of stuff in it that, that is just as important in public schools as it is in private schools. But... There are some things outside of that overlapping bit, particularly on the private school side. Both teachers and administrators identified things like being entrepreneurial, budgeting, public relations skills, accounting and finance, teaching multiple subjects, modeling faith and action, and religious instruction, which shouldn't really surprise us, right? So private schools tend to operate much more independently and autonomously than public schools do. So that means if you are a principal of a private school, you're not just an instructional leader, but you're also a business leader. You're running a nonprofit organization. So you need to know how to budget. You need to know accounting and finance to be able to handle this, where in many cases, public schools would have a school district that does a lot of that back office support. Um, Public schools also tend to have larger administrative staff, so, so more of these jobs fall onto private school leaders. And the same is true that you know, private schools are much more likely to be religious uh, in nature, So, it, which shouldn't surprise us that private school educators said it's more likely to have to you know, do religious instruction or be a model of faith in action or be a faith leader in their school. So it, it is a distinct set of skills. I almost want to borrow, uh, what was that, uh, Liam Neeson from Taken, a particular set of skills, yeah. right? So they identified this particular set of skills that private school educators need that are unique from the much broader set of skills that are shared by both sectors. All right, so the more hats you wear, the more skills you need. And that makes sense. But where are the teacher, administrator, pastor, principal, instructional leaders of the world expected to pick up all of the skills they need to be successful in their jobs. Right. So that's the challenge. I mean, ideally, they would pick this up during their pre-service preparation. So those who are interested 
in serving in private schools would have the opportunity during their preparation to, to get these skills. If they're not able to do that, one would hope that the kind of continuing education that takes place, either via professional development or as teachers and leaders go back and get master's degrees or certificates or spend more time in higher education, that they might be able to have programs that are catered to their particular needs around these issues where these gaps exist. That makes complete sense to me. So are there any considerations for policymakers to be aware of? Yes. I mean, I think this type of research that we're doing here, while I think you know, the, the, the main audience that I think this would be helpful for are kind of entrepreneurial teacher and leader preparation program folks who say, oh, wait a second, look, we, we can actually, with a few tweaks and maybe just by doing stuff like cross-listing courses, right? So like saying, oh, you know, there, we have courses in nonprofit management that are educational administrator, masters, students, or, or whatever those programs are, that they could get credit, they could cross-list for those, or schools, uh, courses in the business school, or for those schools, or, or for those educators who potentially want to teach in religious schools. You know, you might have religious studies departments or theology departments or any of those where students could cross list. So I think the main audience of this is entrepreneurial educator prep people who there's a real opportunity there for them to serve an unmet market. But it is also important for policymakers to understand that in order for things like school choice programs to grow and thrive, there's more than just, oh, hey, we like pass a voucher bill and then move on with our lives. Like school voucher bills, tuition tax credits, education savings accounts, all of the suite of educational choice policies. And this, this is also, I mean, this, this research didn't look directly at charter schools, but I would imagine a lot of this um, overlaps with them. You have to think more broadly about the creation of markets and how markets work and how part of the lifeblood of markets is human capital. So if you're not thinking about all of these concerns, you shouldn't be surprised or disappointed when, you know, schools don't thrive. If schools can't get teachers and leaders, it doesn't matter anything else that's going on. They're not going to be good schools. They're not going to be able to grow. They're not going to be able to improve the lives of kids. So part of this, a kind of secondary audience that I hope policymakers, other people in the educational choice movement who, who need to look more broadly at how to improve the quality of schools that participate in those programs and help them grow in positive ways. Yeah, and positive growth is, I think, a great concept that we can all latch on to. So, Mike, do you have anything else to add? No, I mean, I hope that folks are able to read this. Maybe folks who have not necessarily looked at Ed Choice's stuff before, um, I, I, this is probably a little bit non-traditional audience, for folks, I hope that uh, everybody can sort of give it a read with an open mind. And even if you maybe don't agree with Ed Choice about anything that, that we believe, just looking at the kind of cold, hard data of this one, I hope that it will sort of convince people that there is a, a, this need out there for educators to get these particular skills. And I hope that folks will rise up to the challenge. Yes, because as you said, the particular set of skills. Exactly. All right, well, that wraps up this edition of EdChoice Chats. Be sure to check out the description of this podcast for a link to Mike's report. 
And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher so you never miss another episode. And if you have any questions or comments about this report, feel free to reach out to us on social media. You can find us at EdChoice. Until next time, take care. Thank <laughs> you.